Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Kona Shane Veterinary Podcast. Guys, I am your host, Dr. Andy Rourke. I got, got, a, good, got a good one today. It got, got a lot of heat. Uh, it's a, a, a spicy episode as I bring on my friend David List to talk about the, the drama, the, um, the, the kind of bad blood that I'm seeing between general practices and emergency practices uh, out in the public today. So uh, I wanted to discuss the animosity that, um, that I'm seeing both online and then, and then uh, even just uh, in person uh, between GPs who are upset and angry at their local emergency clinic for uh, things like not taking overflow cases or for getting more stringent about what cases they will see and what cases they won't see. And in some cases, emergency clinics are reducing their coverage hours because of staffing shortages, and that's making a lot of people angry. And the emergency clinics are feeling a lot of this because a lot of GPs are getting angry at emergency clinics for things like uh, client wait times and not being able to get cases into the emergency clinic and so there is a there is a lot of strong feelings right now and uh and i wanted to unpack it with somebody who i thought would have really good insight so i reached out to david liss david liss for those of you who don't know uh has an mba Uh, he is a certified veterinary practice manager he is also a veterinary technician veterinary technician specialist in emergency critical care and he practiced on the floor as an emergency technician for over 10 years so he's definitely got insight into the emergency world and then also the management and business world i thought he'd be a great person to unpack it with i was absolutely 100 percent not disappointed uh his really interesting conversation i hope you guys will really enjoy it without further ado let's get into this episode this is your show we're glad you're here we want to help you in your veterinary career welcome to the cone of shame with dr andy rourke welcome to the podcast david liss that is good to have you back hey andy good yeah 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 thanks for having me back good to be back my 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 pleasure my pleasure I uh, I brought you on to help make sense of the chaos and rage that I am seeing in our profession right now. Yeah. And yeah, mommy and daddy are fighting is what it looks yeah. like. Yeah. They, yeah. They are. Let's talk about uh, ER clinics and general practice clinics not getting along in a way I've never seen before. Dun, da, da, 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 I mean, yeah. it is like, yeah. Um, you got this this ring, uh, and and on the far corner we've got the emergency clinics coming in. You know, um, oh, look here's what here's what happened, right? Okay. So everybody was busy pre-COVID. The, the, the industry's exploding, right? Yeah. Um, you've got new Which is practices. It's a good thing. It's, yeah, a good thing. Totally. Yeah, it's painful, but oh. it's a good thing. Pain, yeah, growth is tough, right? So yep, new practices, corporate medicine expanding, you know, new new types, you know, urgent cares and all these kinds of things opening up. We need more doctors. We need more technicians. Yep. Demand is increasing. Human animal bond is stronger than it's ever been, et cetera. Then COVID, right? And, you know, I know you guys have done a ton of episodes on this curbside. It was basically, let's take uh, what could really be a pretty busy clinic and a lot of throughput, right, with drop offs Mm -hmm. and multiple doctors and people waiting in the lobby and a doctor who can go to different exam rooms at one time and manage all that to literally a bottle, right? Like a complete bottleneck. We got to hire runners. We got to manage the cars out front. We can't even get a medication refilled in two seconds. Like it takes all all this time to process everything. We added telemedicine and all that. So general practices, their 
kind of per patient productivity, right, dropped. Now we saw, thank God, most clinics got okay revenue because we saw the per ticket go up, but their their amount of patients they could service in a day, in a month, and now it's been a year, went down. They could not yeah. see as many. So they made some choices, right? They made some choices to say, look, your dog is super healthy. You're coming in for exam and vaccines. I'm gonna push you out six weeks beyond that year. Six weeks turned into two months. Now we're three months booked out for wellness, six months booked out for wellness. Um, dentals, you know, your dog's teeth are fine. We can't do, you know, we used to do eight, eight dentals a day. We can do two. Now we're pushing you out months. And that was kind of the, in parallel, it was the, and my dog's got an ear infection and he's cut his leg and he's broke his leg. And general practice has had to say, and I was on the other side of this managing them and had to say, you can take what you can take. You know, we're gonna open up some slots for walk-ins, we're gonna do drop-offs, but no, I can't see every single ear infection that walked in the door because the you know what would happen, right? The owner would come in, they, they you know, the pet would go to the back, they'd hang out up front, the doctor would be in their normal appointments, swing by the table, see the ear infection, yell out the orders and move on. The mm. problem was curbside ads that run to the car, run back from the car, run to the car, run back from the car, call the owner, miss the call. I, you know, text to pay, numbers blocked. Like all of those things were added. And so they just couldn't do it and get out at six or seven or eight o'clock at night every night. Right. So they said, started saying, go to emergency. And so emergency clinics had the normal emergencies, hit by car, you know, blockhead, all those things. Plus a lot of this now, what I would call urgent care overflow. Nothing wrong with it. It just was what it was. And I support the general practices for saying, look, we're work-life balance. We're, we close at six. We can. We yeah. used to see 20 pets a day. Now we're going to see 15. Here's the option. Okay. Now let me jump over to the other side. Emergency <laughs> clinics were already real busy, right? And all of a sudden they get inundated with all of these, these other somewhat critical and sometimes not critical cases. And they said, okay, so for an ear infection, for a broken, or, you know, for a, a limping, for a, a hot spot. Three to four, you know, two to three hour wait was normal pre-COVID. Now it's three to four hours. And clients lost their freaking minds. And I don't blame them. I, you know, if it was originally going to be an hour or two and now it's four hours, like that's frustrating. So they yeah. started calling their general practices, right? I can't believe you can't work me in. Emergency is going to be four hours, da, 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 da. This is only phase two. Phase three now where we're at is every ER in basically the country has probably a four to six hour wait for anything that's not critical because they're dealing with not only critical, but you know transfers from the general practice and all of that. And now clients are hopping. They're going to every single ER. They're driving 20 minutes to hours to find an ER that will quote unquote take them. And mm -hmm. ERs are at the limit. They've seen crazy turnover, doctors leaving, technicians leaving. And yeah. they've said, great, we have, we used to have four doctors on a night. Now we've got one. I can't see as many criticals. We are going to a leveling system. We are shutting down our ER service. Well, what does that do? It backlogs the entire system, right? And so general practices, I think of what you've seen and I've seen too, is this, how could they do that? Oh my goodness, they're closing, da, da, da. When the real problem is that we are all in it together, right? Yeah. And it's everybody's problem. No, it's not anybody's fault but it's right. everybody's problem. You know, the, the ER is doing what they can, the general practice is doing what they can. So that that is, I think, where we are in this moment in time. Yeah, no, I, I, agree, I agree with that. Um, as far as the relationship between the ERs and the GB, you know, I'll, I'll lay a level on top of it. The number of stories I'm hearing about the general practitioners, the, so pick, to pick up where you left the story off was the clients are calling the GPs and being like, I can't believe you sent me here and they can't get me in. 
the GPs are then calling the emergency clinics and getting angry at them. Like, what you? What do you mean you can't take my patient? That's your job. And 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 of course, the emergency clinics are feeling crapped on. And I uh, I heard a story uh, recently. It was in the Uncharted community. Somebody was talking about their local ER called a meeting of the of the GPs and was like, "We well, they, I mean, I think it's good, but they just said we can't staff every night anymore, and so we're closed on Tuesday nights now because we can't staff beyond that." And uh, a lot of the local GPs lost their minds. You're like, that's not allowed. Right. It's, like, it's totally allowed. Um, and so so then, you know, then you got these GPs who are like, what are we going to do on Tuesday nights? The nearest emergency clinic is hours away. I'm not taking call again and I'm not staying up to see these emergencies. You have to be open. And they're like, no, you don't you don't get it. We can not be open and continue on in business. Yeah, um, Absolutely. And so, oh man, so those are the, those are things that, that are sort of going on. I, I, before we start unpacking this, you know, let me just say, I, (laughs) there's always these like quiet voices in the back of the room who were like, everything is fine at my practice. We we can, we continue to get everything done and leave on time. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Is there something wrong with me? And it's like, no, right. No, this is, is a regional problem. Yeah. And, um, And, and, and it may be that you've got some pretty good, you've got some pretty good boundaries kind of working for you. And and that's great. So no, there's nothing wrong with you. If you're not experiencing this problem, God bless you. Good luck to you. But the the rest of us, I think, I think, I think are really struggling. Um, so yeah, so let's talk about, let's start with the, uh, emergency clinics. Yeah. I mean, what do you think? What is the what is the general impression you think that they have? So you were on the floor for ten years as an, uh, a veterinary technician specialist yeah. mm-hmm. um, in emergency medicine and practicing. Like, how do the emergency clinics perceive these overflow appointments coming in? Are I mean, are they? Do you think that most people are kind of understanding? Do you think that they immediately push back on that? I can imagine being in an emergency clinic and rolling my eyes yeah. when an, another sort of almost wellness type appointment comes in yeah. it's like oh he's got a he's got a lump yeah you're sending me a lump like wh- what, what are we doing here yeah i mean it, you you can probably predict right human nature is to the general practice and to the veterinarian oh thank you so much for sending the referral behind the closed doors i cannot believe this is you know oh my <laughs> gosh and like yeah. that's just that's just behind the clo- closed doors talk right um, but yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's definitely the chattering of, uh, and I think that, I think that the, the amazing thing about our profession is that we are empathetic to a fault, right? Like literally to a fault. And so I think that the emergency doctors and technicians that are out there listening to this, they're all, they're all pretty empathetic. They're like, we are here. We know we're emergency. We're here to service, you know, as much as we can. But the, the, I think that the kind of the resentment or, or upset or frustration comes from when you see what used to be a mountain of work and was often highly critical patients and a few stragglers of, of of urgent care or not critical stuff, which was expected, right? You take a call, somebody says, my clinic's not open, you know, my dog's got a hotspot. And we say, oh, you could probably wait till tomorrow. And it was all fine. The problem was when they said, my clinic cannot get me in now for, for a month. And so they said, I've got to come to you. So that mountain of work turned into, you know, from, you know, from like this little molehill to, you know, Mount Whitney, right? And 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 yeah. there was no, there. the problem is there really is no getting out from under it right now. Uh, you know, the, the, issue is unfortunately 
it's not something that we as a profession, I think, can fix because it's a demand issue. It's a human people, like that many people with that many animals issue. The way you solve it is, you know, you open up 10,000 more clinics and hire 50,000 more doctors. And guess what? That doesn't exist right now. So we're working through this incredibly challenging, you know, hair pulling out time. Um, But yeah, I think that's that's kind of, you know, I, I think that if if the ER were manageable, if we had double the doctors at every clinic in the, in the country and double the technicians. Nobody had an issue with the volume, right? It could oh, be yeah, 50 be patients great. and it could be 100. But when you don't have that and yet the demand is there, it, it is it is so taxing on the stress level because the doctor stress and the tech stress and the business stress is I need to fix it. I need to, you know, to, to move through each patient. I'm falling behind. Like all of those normal stress things that come up and they just are multiplied by a thousand right now. The, the best analogy I can give to how the GPs and emergency clinics are treating each other and interacting with each other and talking about each other to clients yeah. is uh, when you have a married couple that has like stress in their life and so they fight with each other. Right. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. like I'm talking, I'm, I'm imagining you know, totally external stress. You know, you think of the, the, the kid's school is being a jerk and there's not enough hours in the day and the flight that you were supposed to take for vacation together got canceled. And so what do you do? You fight with each other about whatever, you know? And so I, I think that that is a lot of it is yeah. everyone is frustrated. Everyone is angry. There's not a solution. No. And no. so we're going to so we're going to lash out at the other party in 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 the hole with us. Right. Absolutely. I mean, if you think about, uh, you know, if you if you were to take a, an emergency doctor and a GP doctor that are level headed, happy, fulfilled and not stressed and took them out to dinner, the GP doctor, I guarantee you would say, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for not having, you know, I don't get to be on call anymore. And the ER doctor would say, yeah, that's what I do. I like seeing the critical stuff and I don't like working during the day and it all works out. That's when they're at their least stressed, right? So then when you when you tighten the screws, of course, the GP doctor, da, 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 the ER doctor, da, da, da. and you know, it, it's just, that's where we're at is, is, is unfortunately those emotions are running high, the stress is running high, and that's what we're seeing uh, on yeah. community forums, social media, that kind of stuff. Jamie, tell me about your, your favorite cat. Um, you're not supposed to have favorites, but I do. Her name is Calico Jack, and she's missing her upper uh, and her lower canines. Um, and she's just a delight. Uh, Calico Jack and the rest of your crew all drink from the Filacqua uh, water system, correct? They do. I like to... Tell me about it. I, I love it. It's a smart system. So every time the cats come up, it registers their microchip, and it tells me how much they've had to drink in a given period of time. So I can make sure that none of them are drinking too much or drinking too little. Yeah, the uh, Falaqua is from Sure Pet Care as part of their connected ecosystem. Guys, uh, this has been something that uh, Jamie and I have gotten to play with for the last couple of months, and it is super cool. Uh, we know that water intake is a huge flag for uh, for disease and uh, illness in our feline patients, and we want to stay on top of it, and we want pet owners to know uh, what their cat is drinking. This is a great approach to it. If you want to learn more, head over to surepetcare.com slash water. That's surepetcare.com slash water. I'll put the link in the show notes. 
Guys, I just want to jump in real quick and uh, give you a quick heads up about some awesome stuff that we have going on. Right now, the uh, card game, it's called What's On My Scrubs, is blowing up. We've sold the majority of the initial printing. Uh, we're going to run out of these, I'm afraid, before too long. We're trying to sort of hang on to them, but, uh, but they're going fast. What's On My Scrubs is a card game for the entire veterinary team. It makes people laugh and have fun. Check out online. You can look around. We have some advertisements out there. If you see it, check out the comments because people are like, I got this and it was wonderful and we laughed and we had a good time. And uh, I'm just seeing stuff like that. And it makes me, it makes my heart just swell. So anyway, if you're looking for an icebreaker with your team for your staff meeting, you want to get people in, get them to laugh, get them to talk to each other uh, before you try to get down to some work. Man, this is a great way to do it. This is, this is what we made it for. So anyway, what's on my scrubs? I'll put the link in the show notes. You can head over to DrAndyRourke.com and check it out. I hope you do. I hope you have fun with it. Gang, let's get back into this episode. Let's uh, let's start unpacking this as far as like, what do we do about it? Yeah. And and I, I think you touched on on the key thing, which I, I find myself beating the drum for this. And it's really a weird feeling for me. Mm-hmm. Um, empathy to a fault is what you said. Right. And I think that that's true. And here I am. Um, I, I love our profession. I love our pet owners. I love yeah. our clients. Yeah. But I am starting to to find myself being the one pushing back against uh, endless empathy. Yeah. And being like, this is not sustainable. Right. And, you know, I, um, I, I talked to the veterinarian who's like, oh, our emergency clinic is closed on Tuesday nights now. And they're, they say they're going to close for the next six weeks to give their staff a break, which is what they need. Uh, but but it could be longer than that. But they're planning on six weeks. What do I do? Do I start taking call? <laughs> do I need to stay up on Tuesday nights? And I say to her, no, like, no, you did not sign up to to do overnight work. Like you never told anyone you would do that. You never told them you were going to be on call 24 uh, seven or or even just 24 on Tuesdays. Like that was that was never anything you agreed to. That's not something that's sustainable. That's nothing anything your staff agreed to. Like no one ever said that that was what you were going to do. And the idea that you would just pick this burden up because the emergency clinic is doing what they need to do. I don't think that that's realistic uh, or or healthy. No, no. I mean, if you think about, um, you know, empathy work, you know, we, we have a tank, right? And it's filled up with gas at the beginning of the morning and you burn it off. And when you get to the end of the tank, that's when we, the, the term for us is boundaries, right? It's the term of, I need time to recharge. But if you yeah. give and 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 give, you know, you're depleting the tank beyond. I mean, we only have, I don't know, you know, like 100,000 calories or whatever. I don't know the numbers, but, you know, in our store, we eat, we fuel up, but we are machines at the end of the day. You have to power your brain and your heart and all these things with energy. And if we don't have it, we don't have it. And so the boundaries issue, that's where, that's, I think, the complete antithesis to this superhero idea. So let's say somebody burns 5,000 calories a day, a normal average person, and a vet burns 50,000, right? We we were, we burn 10 times the amount. There isn't an unlimited calories, supply. Yeah. yeah. You know, and so, you you know, if, if, a, if a normal person operates at level X and a veterinarian operates at, or, you know, technician operates at 2X, there's a limit and you have to draw that boundary. So that's the antithesis to this idea of you have a set of clients and you service them, like as a, in a general practice, you service them from, let's say, 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. That's the time. The rest yep. of it, it is what it is. 
And the reverse is true on the emergency side. Now, on the emergency side, it real sucks, right? Because they're 24 hours. So it kind of goes right. and goes. But you're right. As an individual ER clinician, you work your shifts. You may have to stay a little later if something's crashing here and there. But you work your shifts. That would, that's what you can do. That's what you can control, you know? And then there's that extra layer of the ownership of, you know, oh, my God, we got to cover ships in the panic. And, you know, you run a business, you do what you can do, and there are going to be some imperfections to that. And, and so if you start to kind of frame it in that way, of like, what can you control? When are you getting to your point of I'm going to lose it and you need to start drawing boundaries? And then that's OK. Right. Like this doctor you mentioned, it's OK. You're not taking call at night. It's OK. Yeah. You're saying, here's the end of my day, whatever that end of the day is. And I need to recharge. You can't service yeah. the other clients if you don't do that. You know? Yeah, I, I, I agree. I think that there's really two factors here that we need to beat into the heads of veterinarians is number one is what is your capacity? And so right. you're talking about sort of empathy calories. I've heard um, I've heard it called spoon theory. OK, the idea is you have a certain number of spoons in the morning when you get okay. up and that's sort of your, uh, you know, your ability to care, you know, your yeah. ability things to handle. Yeah. And some mornings you get up and you feel great and you got a bunch of spoons and some mornings you, you get up and you hurt and you've only got like four spoons. And if you don't rest, you don't get as many spoons back. And at some point you run out of spoons and that means you just don't have anything left. You have no capacity to handle. You have no resilience left. And that, that's how it works. But the the two factors are number one, that's true for you as an individual. But the other thing is as a doctor, as a team leader, as a practice manager, uh, you if you have a brain, you need to be looking at your team as well. Because the fact that you are ending, ending the day with one spoon left, that doesn't mean anything if your front desk is negative four spoons every day and you're going to lose them. And ultimately, you know, the, your ability to tough out anything in the world is not as valuable as you think, because the people around you are not, they may not have that. And the other thing is you look at our support staff making $14 an hour, you know, uh, and they go, forget this crap. And, and, and that's why, I mean, and this is across industries. People are quitting their job right now at record numbers. You know, that people are just pandemic stress and being tired and deciding that there may be something better for them and, you know, maybe wanting a slower pace after after being quarantined. But we're we're losing a lot of people. And so my ability to bite down and grip my teeth and keep going, it's not as valuable as we might think, because if I bite down and my whole staff quits, <laughs> I'm, I'm toast. Yeah, exactly. Well, you're also kind of bringing up, I think, another thing that we don't talk about as much, um, but it is important to bring up is this kind of this kind of plight of the manager and the owner. Um, yeah. And I'm not a I'm not a woe is me person. Being a leader, whether you're an yeah. owner, manager, or whatever, that that is a a choice and b a really freaking hard job. But that's what yeah. you signed up for. And so COVID, right. you know, we all had to dig real freaking deep as leaders and spend a lot of sleepless nights and do a lot of work on supporting the team. And you you know you you have to have boundaries too. But a leader needs and should be working on extending the amount of spoons with emotional intelligence work and coaching and whatever the heck it is so that you don't have to have a bazillion more spoons than your support staff, but you have a few more because your job is to give and support their spoons and make sure they have more of them. So I think yeah. that, you know, you're, you bring that up as a, is a great point. And that's kind of where we are, that we, we have, we have some things we can't control, right? I cannot make more veterinarians. I cannot go take drywall and, and, and put it together. And all of a sudden I have a doctor, it takes four plus years, you know, to get them even through that school. 
So we have a long, a long ramp up here. Um, I can't grow more RVTs off of a tree. I can certainly train and we can, we have alternate routes and we have online programs and whatever, you know, we can, we can do that, but I can't make them this minute. But what I can yep. do is be a strong leader, be a yep. supportive leader. And as you just mentioned, look to the team to say, okay, guys, here's the situation, right? And they know you can't make more vets. They know we're trying yep. to recruit. They know you're making offers, blah, 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 blah. What can we do? And 9,000 times they're going to say, well, this thing would help, or this program would help, or if we added this form, or if I had two people who could, da, 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 they're going to solve the problem. They know how to solve the problem. They know you can't change the demand. But if we turn around and we say, guys, all right, let's have a, you know, all team meeting. Here's what's going on. And they go, we know it's crazy out there. And we go, oh, it's great. You know, how can we make it 1% less crazy? They have some really good ideas. And I think that as leaders, you know, we get into this, I think, spinning our wheels a little bit of, well, how do we solve it? How do we solve it? We don't actually have to solve it. We need to support the solution. If that makes yeah. sense. Well, and I, I like I like your realistic expectation of how do we make this one percent less crazy? Yeah, I, I don't think there's anything the staff's going to do that's going to make this no. go away. It's just no. they're not. But I do think, guys, are are there things that we can do to support you all to make this one percent right. less crazy? And that is two things. Number one, uh, it's the it's the knowledge of the group, it's the hive mind. Right. But number two, it involves your team so that they're not feeling completely powerless, just right. getting overrun every day. They're like, okay. We're involved in this. And I know you're working your buns off behind the scenes, but them being included and seeing that and and having some level of participation, it's, it's, it's really good. As far as other things that we control, the way we look at ourselves, I think it really, really matters. And, um, you know, you said we're, we're strong people. We are strong leaders. And I would say that that seeing yourself that way is vital. I I think a lot of us, um, have fallen into this pit of despair and we look at ourselves as victims or as, as sacrificial lambs to the pet owners. Like, here's my blood before you, you know, like that's not, that's not okay. That's not how we are. You know, I'll tell you, I'll tell you who we are. We are, we are strong, smart, determined people who are facing a big challenge, but damn it, we're going to be okay. And, 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 you know, we're going to make hard calls and we are going to do things that are going to suck. And some of that is saying, I'm sorry, I can't see you or saying we do not take cases after five 30. We close at six. That is, uh, that is just what the final. Is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's like, and you know, and the person says I have to drive an hour and a half to the nearest emergency clinic. And we say, I am terribly sorry. We will reach out to them and make sure everything is there for you and ready right. to go. Right. And there are people out there who go, Andy, could you do that? Yes. Yes, yeah. I can. Yeah. How dare you do that? Right. Well, that's no, the I mean, this, is, this mm-hmm. is it, guys. This is the yeah. long game. Yeah. Um, I plan I plan to be here in 20 years. You know, I, I plan to be here in 30 years, hopefully, knock on wood, you know, but it's not going to happen if I if I burn myself out and burn up my marriage and run my staff off like that's not going to it's not it's not going to happen. Yeah. And it's so interesting. You know, when I, I think when you think about, you know, how do you mentioned uh, a little bit ago, you know, how do how do we solve this? Right. You know, there is no perfect fix. I think how we solve it is through hearts and minds. Yeah. And I think what I mean by that is we solve the burnout problem. And and I'm going to I'm going to say right now, I don't I, I don't have a fix for that. The, the, the solution I think you just mentioned like two minutes ago, Andy, is and, and we can you know, you can unpack burnout for hours and hours. But so much of psychological struggle for human beings, right, is feeling out of control. And when we fi- and, and if you can't control the thing, what do you do? You try to find something you can control. Right. And you 
freaking mic dropped it, you know, forever. If the world is out of control, but you could tell your staff, okay, guys, you know, what what can you do? What do you suggest? How can we work with this within? Because the owner controls the business. One hundred percent controls the opening hours, controls the closing hours, you know, all, I mean, if you're an ER, you're not closed, but can, you know, controls all of those mm-hmm. things. You don't control whether staff come and go, but you can control some of those things. So how do we fix this? The staff, as you said, can grab that bull by the horns and say, we really need to do this. And you go, okay. And they're getting that control back over something that is that is so out of control. And I think that there's a, there's a lot of deep ways to solve burnout, but think about empowerment and engagement. What are those related to? Well, it's related to having a conversation with another employee and saying, okay, what do you want? What do you need? What can we do? I mean, those, you know, if you think about what empowerment is, well, what do you want? You know, and what are you not getting? If you think about, you know, engagement, uh, you know, commitment, what what would it take to keep you here? Like those kinds of conversations. That's about the employee or the owner or the leader or whoever saying, this is the thing. This is the thing that I can control over. I can now make an ask and the, the workplace can, you know, grant the ask or whatever. So that's, I think, you know, we're going down a rabbit hole with burnout, but like, I think that's part of solving it is like saying, okay, why do you, you know, you feel out of control. Then you go through this kind of angry phase, then the kind of depressive phase, and then you're disenfranchised, right? And disempowered and disengaged. How do we get you back feeling like I, this is my world, whether it's the dental room or, you know, the exam room, that's my world and I control that, um, you know, and, and, and supporting employees through that and giving them that control and power back over something, over the biggest issue. You know, Jane Smith, the RBT at, you know, ABC Animal Hospital in Memphis is not solving the political issues we have of why we're not opening more vet schools, right? She's not solving right. that. Right. So what can she solve? And, and what can we give her the power to solve? Right. No, I love it. I mean, this is the manifestation of servant leadership. You know, yeah. um, it, it's, it's, it's what do these people need? How do we support them? And part of it is, what do they need? Sometimes it's an emotional need of feeling yeah. like they have some input, right. feeling like they're being heard. Like yeah. you know, they're working away. And I think one of the most damaging things is when, uh, whether it's emergency or GP, that your people feel unseen and they're, you know, they're really working, they're overwhelmed and they just, you know, it feels like the Lord has, for, has forgotten me. <laughs> you know, I, I heard, a, uh, I heard a story one time, this woman was about a hundred and she's 104 years old. And someone said, what's your secret to living so long? And she said, I think the Lord has forgotten me. <laughs> and, oh. and that, always, that always made me laugh. And it's like, I just, sometimes I think the staff thinks yeah. the Lord has forgotten yeah. me. But you know, what's funny is let's, let's say, um, you create this culture, Andy, of, of a clinic, you know, ABC animal hospital where, where the staff you know, get to come to you. And, I, and I've worked at some of these practices. I will say that there's, that's one side of a coin. This is the other side of the coin. So I say to you, Andy, hey, you know, I, you know, you say, what's going on with the clients? They're all upset these days. What can we do? And I say, insert some crazy idea here. And you say, oh, that'll never work here. That is the, com- you've completely undone everything you've tried to build. You know, you said, oh, yeah. well, we, we listen to the employees, but you do jack about it. And the employees, most of the time, are the disruptors. They are the ones that say, we do the same thing every single day. And here is either an extremely different idea or a 1% different idea. And what do they often get from leaders and managers? Well, that would never work here. The clients yeah. would never take to that, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. That's almost worse. You know, you almost leave yeah. them in with the, ooh, yes, I listened to you, but <laughs> I'll never do anything think. about it. Now, I'm not, and you and I agree, we're not saying you're gonna, we're going to agree to every oh, single yeah. suggestion. Realistic but there, expectations. Yeah, there's a process to say, I've heard you. Let me ponder on this. My first reaction is no, but I want to work. You know, that engagement process, and maybe I will tell you, you come out from the other side going, 
damn, that was a good idea. You know, dang, that worked for us. Wow, that really solved the issue because leaders and managers are very limited. We only know what we know. We have our blinders on. And a lot of times the solution is out of the box. Yeah, no, I I agree with that. I think um, so. So I think I think involving the staff, I think talking about what what can we do to try to support you? I, I think that's key. I think I think hard boundaries is absolutely key. Like I, I think GPs have got to do a better practice of determining what their capacity is. Yeah. And saying, this is what we can do. And um, you, if you, you know, the doctor's like, oh, we can't send that business away. It's like, look, buddy, if you can't work at capacity and and also have a financially healthy business, then then you, you missed a trick. Um, you know, and so we, we do have to figure out like say, hey, what can we handle? Yeah. And what are our boundaries to stop our staff from 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 burning out you know how do we how do we retain our people and beyond that we have to say we you know we can't we can't do this you're going to have to go somewhere else and um and we need to take care of ourselves and at the same time we need to give grace to the emergency clinics to do what they have to do as well like there's no scenario where they're a, a vortex a black hole and everyone in town can dump cases on the two doctors at the emergency clinic right. and everything goes okay. Like that's not going to happen. And so you have to expect if that was you in that emergency clinic, you would triage and you would say, this is what I can do. And this is the capacity that we have. And beyond that, I just, I don't have that capacity. And so everyone needs to give grace. And um, I think we need to get, I think we need, I think we have a problem. Uh, David, one of one of one of the things I really think screws veterinarians that they do to themselves is this mentality of like, I can't have a client go to another veterinarian. You know God what I mean? Forbid. And it's mm-hmm. like, I'll right. send them to the ER because I know that they're not that's not going to become their regular veterinarian because of weight and price and, you know, blah, 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 blah. Um, and so I'll send them to the ER because I don't have any concern about losing them. Right. But I'm like, you know at some point you go the er's not taking them and they have and, is, and and they have clearly communicated that to you that they're not taking them and you don't have capacity for them it's time to send them to another veterinary clinic another gp yeah, and say right. hey these are these are some gps that we like and you can call and see if they have availability and just be honest and people god that's like heresy but you go look man if you can't see any more um, what are we, what are we doing here? You know, like at some point you say, I'm going to try to take care of the client and that means they need to go somewhere else. Um, and I'm not going to lose sleep about it because I've got more work than I can do. This is where I think, you know, there's just such a horrible injustice done to veterinary medicine. When you think about, like, if you, if you think about remove all the medicine from it and use the word business, and yeah. you think about, you know, how do you how do you work with some of this, right? There's the terms like market share, you know, year over year growth, like all these kinds of things. There's a reason those exist and they're not evil. So in yeah. this in this situation, you said if you say that, like, say clients, yeah, I don't know, you know, 20 clients and they're going to, you, you know, you're going to send them to the original clinic. They're getting backed up. You send them to another clinic. You say, here's our kind of friends list of people we'd recommend. And they go to that clinic and they God forbid they love them. They tip them in. They've got an app. It's really fun. Your business is not going to completely implode, but you have to go capture 20 more clients from somewhere else. And you'll do that eventually. It's not like an immediate thing, but that is what business is about, right? There is this market of all the pet owners in your zip codes or demographics or whatever. And there's all of these tools and things, marketing and ads and all these things that we can do to get more you know, clients or, or you know, get more market share. And so you know, when you think about that, like the fear reaction is, if I send these 20 clients away, I can't feed my kids, right? I can't put dinner on the table, I can't do those things. 
when if you were if you were taught or had some business sense, you almost know that it's endless out there, that there are even underserved. I mean, if you look at some of the AVMA oh, yeah. numbers of people who don't even go to the vet. Right. So that's I, I think, you, you know, that's just the injustice we've done about how to truly run a business versus being a doctor. And some doctors are great doctors and great businessmen. Some are great businessmen and not great doctors. And some are really good doctors and horrible freaking business people. Right. Yeah. And I said, man, I should have said people. Um, and so that's, you know, that's that's, I think, just a horrible, horrible injustice. But you hit the nail yeah. on the head is what is our run rate? What can we handle? Um, and if you can't handle more, I think about I was reading something the other day about like this kind of stuff. And it was talking about like Lululemon, you know, versus Nike. Ver you know, Lululemon doesn't want to be Nike. Nike doesn't want to be Adidas. And they say, if you're an Adidas customer, good for you being Adidas customer. We like our customers. They go to Nike for X, Y, and Z reasons. So ABC Animal Hospital doesn't have to be BCD Animal Hospital. They get to be ABC Animal Hospital. And we're in this crisis where guess what? Just like you've had turnover of staff, you might have turnover of clients too, but there are more out there. You will get more, yeah. you know? <laughs> yeah. I, I think you're totally right. And again, I think all of this, let me go back and, and, uh, and shine sunlight. On, you know, on our people too, is to say, I think all of this comes from a good place though, David, you know what I mean? Like uh, it's, we have super compassionate, empathetic people. And I don't think it's a business. I don't, I don't think it's a business decision to try to be all things to all people. I think it's a genuine, I want to help everyone who comes in our door, you know, thing. And, and uh, the same thing with, you know, with clients is like, I think we all want to keep that medicine affordable um, because it's really important to us. If you just back out and look at vet medicine as a business, this is classic supply and demand and this and the demand is off the charts and the supply is really low. And that means the price goes up. And I think a lot of us have really fought against raising our prices. Um, I, I think that I think our ability to fight that fight is going is, is about running out as, as our staff starts to to burn out and start to say, hey, look, this is I, this is not enough money to make me work like this. I, I think I think that um, that we're going to have to come to grips with that. You know, this is a painful position and we've got so much demand. And um, and I think that there is this idea among our people, the, you know, the veterinarians that like we need to absorb this pain and the pet owners should not. And I wish that we could do that. But like, guys, I, I'm I'm out of optimism like I think that there's going to be plenty of pain to go around, which means we are going to have to make hard choices. And uh, the emergency clinics are going to have to make hard choices. They just are. And that means that ultimately the pet owners are going to have to make hard choices too. Like I'm going to have to drive two hours to emergency clinic or I'm going to have to pay um, more money than I have in the past to get services because that's what it costs so that these people can retain their staff. And that's just ouch. But but I don't see a way around it very much longer. No, I'm right there with you. And, uh, you know, I think you mentioned something when you said, uh, you know, kind of them being responsible and, and, and shielding the pet owners from this. I will tell everybody on this podcast right now, that is not your job. That is not your job. Your job is to put on the white coat and the, for the veterinarians and the stethoscope and the, the person that walks through the door, you, you do your thing. You do your soap, you do your treatment plan, you give them the best recommendation, the technicians do the work, you know, the, the nursing skills and the CSRs can deal with the money. That's the job. The job is not making it easier for people. That's yeah. not the job. The job is I mean, not, yeah. you know, there's customer service even when it's not. The job is not, uh, as you mentioned, you know, shielding the pet owner from the struggle. Unfortunately, they got a pet, they chose to get a pet, 
COVID happened to everybody. Um, you know, if you wanted to build a house in the middle of COVID, you knew that lumber went up 10 times, you know, that kind of stuff happens. And there's a lot of reasons to raise prices right now. And it's, and, and, and there's an emotional, we go down this black hole and I totally understand, but there's a lot of reasons to raise prices right now. Part of it is, is exactly as you said, you're paying for basically extra wear and tear on your staff. And it is going to yeah. come back, whether it's workers' comp, health insurance, retention, uh, turnover, all those things. You are paying for toilet paper that went up five times. You are paying for every single price increase that I guarantee you Zoetis and Royal Canaan and everybody's going to do because they've got to maintain their bottom lines as well. You're going to be paying for that. And so price increases, you know, uh, are absolutely one way that we need to protect the financial health of, of the clinics. And God, I hope I don't get blasted for saying this, but throttle some of that flow. Now, here, here's what I want to say to that. The great thing is there are a lot of options now. Now, they may not be easy options, but there are low-cost, high-volume clinics that are open. There are urgent cares that are open. There are shelters and areas that have some subsidized care that are open. It doesn't all have to be the 24-hour specialty referral, you know, private, higher price practice. Um, but you're right. They may have to drive three hours. You know, they say, I can't afford the $150 exam. I can do the 35 one, they have an appointment for me Sunday at two, I'm going to get in the car and drive three hours. Yeah. That, that yeah. is what the pet owner needs to choose. But, but, you know, they also chose to have a pet and, and I'm not saying that we don't do a lot and, and always sure. should be working very, very hard to help them as best as we can, but as best as we can, I think is the line. And we are so far over the line in this profession. Yeah. And that's why we see this drain and turn and retention issues and burnout and all these, these crises, you know, the emotional yeah. crisis that we're seeing. Well, all of this is being said in the context of our profession being hugely compassionate. Yeah. Right. 100%. I think you and I are both yep. saying, look, the patterns have to feel pain. Yeah. Um, we're saying that from a place where veterinarians have worked themselves to burn out and our staff is quitting, you know, and when I say you have to feel pain, that is not my first choice. This is two years too uh, late to the game of saying we have absorbed all the pain that we yeah, can exactly. and we have done everything we can to support pedos and we'll continue to do that. But we are at a point where we cannot take it all. And now uh, other people are going to have to pick it up. You know, one of the things that helps me, cause I, cause I, you know, I struggle with those things as well. Um, you know, it helps me sometimes to say, you know, I didn't, uh, I didn't choose, I didn't choose to have this pet. I don't, I didn't make the uh, the finances of this pet owner challenging, and I certainly don't benefit from that condition. You know, like I don't want this at all. Right. And for whatever reason, just just saying, I I don't I don't want this. I don't like this. This is not a fun decision for me. But I'm looking at my team and longevity and and making the calls that we have to have so we can continue to be here and serve in the long term. Yeah. Uh, that that helps me with that decision. I think uh, sort of action steps that are going forward. I I think stuff that people can do right now. Uh, and you, you put your finger on this right at the very beginning. We have got to set expectations for sending clients to the emergency clinic um, and for coming into our own clinics. And, and then also the emergency clinics need to set expectations, too. And we just need to say, I cannot see you. You're going to need to go to the emergency clinic. And you should know that they have high volume right now and they're having extended wait times. And you should know that it's going to be four hours because the worst thing I can do is be like, I just head on over the vet, uh, to the emergency yeah, clinic. They'll no take care deal. of you. Right. And, and then right. I'm setting the emergency clinic up to get blasted by an angry person and I'm setting the client up to be disappointed. And then it's all going to come back around. And it's just look, just be honest and say, this is the situation. Right. And these are your options. And, and and give them realistic expectations. I, I think that that's I think that's really clear. I, I think we have got to shift our um, support of pet owners away from willy nilly. 
I think most of us have always just been like, you know what, we'll, we can help them on the price or we can discount this or we'll do blah, blah, blah. I, I, I don't think that that's going to be a sustainable way to help people uh, get healthcare for their pets in the long term. I think we as a profession and as individual practices are going to have to get more intentional. Like we're going to have to say, okay, guys, what do we do when someone can't afford treatment? Um, and there, there needs to be a system. There needs to be, you know, you may have to set up a, an angel fund that you can track and monitor and set up criteria for who gets to use it. Uh, you can al- allocate money to doctors and say each doctor can, has $300 a month at their discretion that they can use and that's it. But, you know, but, but we can't just go, well, we'll make it work. I, I think we, we need to set our prices where they need to be. And then we need to say, okay, how are we going to help people? And set that aside. And I think that you're right. And we might both get blasted for this. But the way that our industry is going, I think you're going to see nonprofits in the future that are going to come up to serve uh, low cost services up to pet owners. And I think that's good. I think we're yeah, probably going to need that. Like, yep. we can't I can't in good conscience sit on here and say, look, guys, we as a profession have got to raise our prices. Right. And then and then look down on any way, shape or form on people who are like, well, we have a nonprofit so we can specifically meet some of these needs. Like that's it goes back to the same things before of like veterinarians being terrified of other people serving their clients. Like we have to get over that and yeah. just say we we've got to run the businesses that are best for us. Right. And we've got to be clear about our boundaries and uh, and what we can do, and what we can't do. Absolutely. And we have to give other people the grace to do the same. Yeah. And, you know, and, and put one foot in front of the other. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it comes down to a little bit of, again, a little more empathy. If anybody can squeeze out just an ounce more of empathy in their in their toothpaste tube. But, uh, you know, the emergency clinics, saying we get it you know the gps you know that is their their business model they are only open during the day they're doing what they can they're already overextended you know they had a covid run rate and they already increased it right they're seeing more pets than they probably should be and then on the flip side the general practice is saying every pet that walks through an er is not there for vaccines right it is a gdv it is a block cat it is a hit by car it is a transfer and the other piece that i think adds not only the normal curbside is they don't know any single one of those clients they don't know relationship with them they don't know if they're going to pay they don't know if they're going to get upset and walk out so you take what could be let's say a laceration at a gp that would take i don't know let's call it you know two you know an hour to kind of get admitted and then it takes a couple hours to get sewn up it's twice that an emergency right plus maybe hospitalization overnight so the gp has to step back and go oh you know how would i handle if every single client i walked in i'd never met before never had a relationship with um every pet was critical every pet had blood work x-rays ultrasound blood draws central lines da, 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 da. And that's yeah. what they're dealing with. And so, yes, my uh, client who has, you know, a dog who's had an ear infection for three weeks is walking around, eating and drinking and shaking its head a little bit, is going to wait four to six hours. And that is that is what actually should happen, right? Because they are the lowest in the triage level. The highest triages are pale and dying and seizuring. And that's what yeah. the emergency clinic needs to do. So there's there's kind of that dual empathy, if I say it that way. <laughs> yeah, uh, I, no, I, I completely agree. I, I think action steps for the emergency clinic are, and I think a lot of emergency clinics are doing this, over communication to the GPs is your friend. And that, that just goes hand in hand in boundaries. It is really hard to have boundaries and not to communicate expectations to people because then they show up on your doorstep and they're angry, you know, when you won't do the thing that they want. Um, the best thing that you can do is like, this is where we are and this is what we can do and this is what we're looking at. And I just feel like um, I know it's probably frustrating for the ERs because they put this information out and they get flack back for it. Um, 
I would encourage the GPs to stop giving the ERs flack for being honest with you about what they can do. And I would encourage the ERs to continue to put that information out so that the vets can set expectations with the clients and also decide what they're going to do. I think some of the vet clinics need to um, start thinking about, hey, what are what are we going to do? Are there other alternatives if the, if the emergency clinic is backed up and they're not taking other cases and we overflow? Can we get a group of three or four hospitals together who we we have good relationships with and say, hey, I'll take your, you can, uh, if you want to put me on a list as a recommended overflow for you, then I will take care of your patients and I will send them back to you. In exchange, you will take care of my patients and send them back to me. And, and, but it, I'm not committing you to anything, but can we get a relationship where I say, hey, you know, here's a, you know, here, here's what it is. Here's another place that you could potentially go and just use it, use it. And we try to cover for each other because it's amazing how often one clinic will just be slammed because of random phases of the moon. And another clinic is just, it just didn't happen that for them that day. They didn't get those emergencies. And I, I don't know, I'm just not that concerned about losing clients to other clinics and going out of business. Um, I, I, I think it's on me to do a good job and retain my clients. And, um, you know, yeah. and being in the driver's seat, look forward. Don't look out the rearview window, you know. Yeah, uh, totally. And, and partnership, partnership, partnership. You know, handshake, two hands connected in a firm grip, or high five, or whatever it is. I got you, you got me. You know, GP, yeah. thank you so much for being there for my clients. I get it's long. How can I help? ER, I get that you're that you're needing to deal with all the preventative medicine, which is extremely important, right? To prevent them coming to the ER, um, and you're working in what you can we're here to support you. And it's just, a, you know, an infinite loop, you know, the the um, kind of circles that are too connected versus, you know, two squares that are just banging up against each other. Totally. David, uh, where can people find you online? Um, so that's a great question. Uh, I, you know, I'm, I'm uh, 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 I think the easiest probably way is um, my Facebook page, David Liss RVT. Um, I will be guilty that I haven't done a lot on there in a while, but that's a great way to connect with me. Um, also, you know, shoot me an email, davidlissrvt at gmail. Like I, I get emails from all kinds of people. I love responding and giving links or giving handouts or whatever the heck I can provide. Um, and uh, love, you know, love building relationships. So those are probably the easiest two. I'm not a not a social media junkie. And so I have like an Instagram, but it's got no posts. And so probably the easiest <laughs> way is my Facebook page. You can direct message me on there or just shoot me an email. Happy to get yeah, at I a note from I you might guys. follow you on Instagram. I'm not sure because there's no post there. I might, it may be someone yeah. in the Philippines. I don't know. <laughs> could be, could be. Yeah. Could be. I'm guilty right. of that. I live um, a little bit of a, of a, on the, uh, you know, on, under the radar life. <laughs> awesome. David, thank you so much, buddy. Take care, Andy. Good to see you. And that is our episode. Guys, I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you got something out of it. If you did, uh, do me a favor and leave us an honest review on iTunes. It is how people find the show. It really means the world to me. It's definitely encouragement to keep going. And then also, like I said, uh, it's how people search for vet medicine and then come across Kona Shame. And so anyway, that's the kindest thing you can do. Guys, I hope that you are doing well. I hope you're taking care of yourself. I hope you're enjoying the summer as it starts to wind down. Please uh, take care of yourselves. Take care of each other. I'll see you next week. Bye.